All right. Don't make us run and find you now after church. Uh, stop by the table in the lobby and uh, put your name down in the area that you'd like to serve in VBS. All right. Take your Bibles, if you will, and uh, turn to Matthew chapter 28. I know some of you think it's a little bad luck to put an umbrella up on the inside of a church or a building. You can wonder about that for most of the message. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll cue you in as we get closer to the end. Matthew chapter 28. Well, praise God by his power. Jesus Christ accomplished what no other religious leader or God has ever done. He raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. We celebrated that last Sunday. In fact, we should celebrate it every Sunday. By doing this, what Jesus has done by raising from the dead is eternal death has over, been overcome. All of us today will die a physical death, but eternal death was dealt with and overcome as Jesus rose from the grave. My friends, this is the high point, this is the pinnacle, this is the high spot of Christianity, that Jesus Christ not only died a death, but he rose victorious from the grave. And as a church, my friend, that is indeed our central focus. You know, as we study Moses, as we have Vacation Bible School here, as we reach out to the community, the central focus will not be Moses and the Red Sea. The central focus will not be the burning bush. The central focus will be, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And we'll be able to see Jesus and his plan and his purpose and his sacrifice woven right through the story of Moses. So as a church, my friend, this is our central focus. This is the reason that we as a church exist. Our purpose our purpose is the gospel. Our purpose is not only to come into the gospel as believers, but our purpose is to spread it, to share it, to give it out. It is, after all, the good news. As we've been talking over the last several weeks, we know that the gospel means that Jesus indeed lived a perfect and a sinless life. We know that he died a death and spilt his blood as we heard the ladies sing about this morning, as payment, a ransom for our sin. And we know that Jesus Christ, by God's power, was resurrected from the dead, and in doing so, he defeated sin. In doing so, he removes hell as a destination for us. In doing so, he eliminated eternal death for those of us who believe in Christ and we put our faith, and our trust in him. My friend, that's the gospel. This is the good news that our mouths need to speak of. This is the good news that needs to stir us to love and to action in others' lives. This is the good news that causes us to do good deeds in the name of Jesus Christ. It's for this purpose. You see, if we remove or extract that purpose 
then we just become good people with good things to say and good deeds to do, but without an eternal message to give. And so the gospel, my friend, needs to be front and center at the very, very core of the church and all that the church does. Now look with me, if you will, at Matthew 28. We're going to read some of the very last words that Jesus spoke. Some of them will be pretty familiar to you. We're going to start with verse 16, Matthew 28, 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. After Jesus' resurrection, there were several times that Jesus appeared to his disciples, If you remember in the book of Luke, Luke writes about the two that were on the Emmaus Road, how that they were walking and talking with a man that they did not know until the Lord opened their eyes to recognize him as to be the Lord. And they said in those verses, didn't our hearts burn within us? There was something that was going on inside of us at the words of this man that we knew that this was of God. And certainly, God opened their eyes, and they were able to see that Jesus was walking with them. Jesus also appeared to disciples, and in doing so, he would extend his arms and show his wounded hands, and he would show his wounded feet, and he would even part his robe and show his wounded side. And not only that, but he sat down and he ate some fish with them around the fire, Jesus truly, indeed, had physically risen from the dead. And then maybe most importantly, at the Sea of Galilee, Jesus not only appears to the disciples, but he has a personal conversation with Peter. And I'm sure Peter was still a little skeptical, still a little shaky about his relationship with the Lord, because after all, you know, and I know that he denied Jesus, that he even knew him. And now Jesus wanted to zero in on Peter and lock eyes with Peter and talk to Peter and have a heart-to-heart with Peter and ask Peter some pretty riveting questions about the level of Peter's love for him. And if he did love him, then what would he be able to do? Would he be able to feed his sheep? And so we know that Jesus physically appeared to many of his followers, yet here in Matthew, if you noticed in Verse 16, if you'll look there with me, Jesus uh, calls an intentional meeting here. It says, um, the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. This, This meeting was a little different than the others. Jesus had a selected place, and he had a selected time, and he had a selected group that he wanted to be able to assemble in that place because He had something that he wanted to make sure that he communicated to them 
that was not only going to impact the rest of their lives, but it was going to impact the folks that would follow them all the way down through decades of time until you and I sit in a room like this today and we're reading scripture that's been preserved for us through hundreds of years and we too get to read the words of our Savior before he ascended to heaven. And so Jesus had some pretty intentional ideas about what he would say not only to these 11, but also to us that would follow He was ready to ascend to heaven. This time was near. And according to Acts chapter 1, verse 4, these may not be the very last words that Jesus spoke, but nevertheless, these are very, very important words that Jesus spoke. This was a a commissioning, if you will. This was was a purpose-giving message. And if you notice Jesus' sermon here, it was probably one of the shortest ones ever preached. Maybe you look forward to some of those sermons when you come to church too. Short ones, concise ones, get to the point, give me the bottom line, tell me what the scripture says and what I need to do about it. But he, and here Jesus does just that. He had done all the long sermons before the cross and now he was just narrowing down the purpose and the focus. And I'm sure the disciples were beginning to realize that the time that Jesus was going to be on the earth was coming to a close. Jesus was talking about it. Jesus was preparing. Jesus had said words before the cross that indicated this was going to come to a close. His life on this earth was coming to a close. And here these 11 men had centered their entire worlds around Jesus. They had left jobs they have left families, they had left incomes, they had carved out three plus years of their life and just followed Jesus and depended on Jesus. And now Jesus was planning to leave, planning to leave them. What was this about? And not only what was this about, but what would we do now? What's our purpose now? Do we just go back and and melt back into our previous lives and just continue on? I mean, what does he have in mind for us? And so Jesus takes just a couple short verses here and he, he spells it out. In this commissioning, he's going to give them their purpose, their reason for continuing on without him. He was going to give them their marching orders. And my friends today, as we take a couple weeks to open this up, these words are not just for these 11, but these words fit for me and they fit for you today. So after they worshiped him, He gave his sermon, and his sermon begins in verse 18 with one short but powerful statement. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Not many words, but it packs a punch. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm in charge. I'm in charge. I'm over it all. I'm sovereign over everything. And notice, he includes not only the earth, but he includes heaven and earth. And notice he uses the word, a very small one, but a very important one. He says, all authority. Not some authority, or not a lot of the authority, or not most of the authority. He says, every bit of of authority has been given to me. There's nothing outside of my authority. There's nothing that's been left out. Jesus here has 
and had all authority. Authority is the final right to rule. It's the right to use power, and in Jesus' case, supernatural power. The buck stops with Jesus. Jesus oversees it all. He's in charge of it all. There's nothing, there's no belief, there's no person, there's no leader, there's no authority of any other kind that overrides and oversees Jesus. He's above all authority. He's been given that position of authority. In Ephesians 1.22, Paul says there, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Colossians 2.10 says, So you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Take a moment. And think about an authority. Think about a ruler. Think about a boss. Think about a leader. Got somebody in mind? Nod your head. Christ is above. Christ oversees. His authority reaches above that authority. He's been given that authority. Turn with me over into the book of Colossians. I want to read a passage for us that that Paul writes that establishes this in our minds. And it's a wonderful, wonderful passage that really spells out this authority that Jesus indeed has. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, we're going to start with verse 15. Speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Christ has all authority. He has the knowledge and the wisdom to have this authority. He has the power to exert this authority. And fortunately, the blessing is, he is the love by which this authority is carried out. Jesus Christ has been given the position of authority. When Jesus moved and walked and talked on the earth and ministered on the earth, this authority was also seen in his ministry. In Matthew 7, 29, Matthew records that Jesus taught with real authority, unlike the teachers of the religious law. 
there was something not only in the accuracy of what Jesus taught, but it, w- but it was within the character and the integrity of Jesus' life that the Holy Spirit taught through him and spoke through him with great authority. It was recognizable. His authority wasn't only in position. People listened and watched the life of Jesus, and they recognized, this guy's just not like the religious leaders that profess so much, that teach so much, that exert so much authority over us, and they did. This Jesus was so different. This Jesus had real authority, the scripture says, and that came through the marriage of his words to his life, the marriage of the principles that he taught to the things that he did, the way that he treated people, the love that he exhibited. The two were married together, and that gave him authority. He had authority in healing. We see that through his ministry. We see that he had authority in forgiving sins. In Matthew 9, 6, he talks about the authority that God had given him to forgive sins. And then in Matthew 10, 1, we see there that not only did Jesus have the authority to cast out demons, but he gave that authority to his followers, his disciples, to do that very thing. Jesus has authority over Satan and, and his dominion. He gave that authority to his disciples. In Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, if you'll just flip over a few pages to Philippians, Paul talks about Jesus' eternal authority. Yes, Jesus was given the position of authority. Yes, Jesus used his authority on the earth. But also, Jesus' authority is eternal. Not only established in time past, but provided for us in eternity. Philippians 2, 9, 10, and 11. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' authority is full and complete and total in heaven and in earth. There is no higher authority. There is no greater authority. There is no powerful authority. My friend, today I want to remind us, and this should bring us a lot of comfort and confidence, that Jesus is in charge. He's fully in charge. He's in charge in your workplace. Oh, he is? I thought my boss was in charge. I thought the one that was overseeing me in this position was in charge. Oh, my friend, Jesus is in charge. He's the supreme and the ultimate authority. Wherever your sources of authority are in your life, whether it be a husband, a boss, a leader, Over you, there's an ultimate authority that holds those leaders right in the palm of his hand. The scripture says, kings and princes sit in the hands of Jesus today. Our president sits in the hands of Jesus today. Our employers sit in the hands of Jesus today. Every leader Everyone above us, every authority has a higher authority, and it's Jesus Christ. 
he is the ultimate in authority. It's hard to talk about authority in the church. We're going to make this a little bit more practical now for us this morning. It's hard to talk about authority in the church because authority has gotten such a bum rap, and maybe rightfully so. Maybe rightfully so. How many of you have known some inadequate authorities in your life? Nod your head. 100%. It's difficult to hold up authority today because there's a lot of bad examples of authority. And so our tendency as human beings and our tendency even as Christians are to disregard, to move around authority. To, it leaves a bad taste in our mouths. There's, there's reasons why we want to disqualify authority. We don't want anyone to kind of set the course for us. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. We don't want anyone to oversee us. We want to just oversee ourselves. Make our own decisions and set our own course. We don't want to follow the command or the directive of another We would rather just be on our own because authority is flawed. Authority has imperfections. Authority isn't as knowledgeable as we would like them to be. Authority is not as moral as we expect them to be. And so therefore, we take the big red sharpie and we just draw an X through the authority and find another way. Jesus, my friend, is the ultimate authority today and his authority should have an effect on our life. In fact, when we submit ourselves to the authority of God and the authority of Jesus in our life, there are blessings. I want to talk about what some of those blessings are. First of all, there are blessings of security. There are blessings of security. Security in your living. 1 John 4.17 says, And as we live in God... Our love grows more perfect so that we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Where does the security and where does the confidence come in our lives? It comes from submitting to authority. The authority ultimately of Jesus in our life. When we submit to his words and his ways and his commands and the things that he expects of us, when we embrace those, when we submit to those, when we come under those, then there is the blessing of security in your living because your life is submitted to his authority. There's security in your giving, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all that you need. Those two sentences go hand in hand because as we submit ourselves to God's plan for our giving in our lives, then we have security that he will provide, as the scripture says, generously for our needs. We also have security in that Jesus covers us. His authority protects us. When we live under his authority and we submit to his hand and we submit to his words, there's protection in that submission. 
So we have security as a, as a part of the blessing of living under the authority of Jesus. We also have confidence. We also have confidence. In fact, John says in 1 John 3, we can have confidence in prayer. He says, dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that are pleasing to him. Where does it come from when we have confidence in prayer? It comes from the fact that we're submitted to the authority of Jesus in our life. If we're submitted to his authority, then John says we're welcome to ask the things that we need to ask for. And that not only can we ask, but we will receive the things that please him and that are part of his will because we've submitted ourselves to his authority. We can have confidence. We can have confidence in our decisions. We can have confidence in the way that we can share Christ. And we'll talk about this more next week. The reason that we can have confidence in our sharing of Christ is because we're not sharing a God among equals. We are not sharing about a God that is part of our own personal belief system, but has no veracity, has no strength on his own, has no truth in himself. Oh no, we're not another belief system that throws our thoughts into the, into the bucket of the other thoughts and the other belief systems that are all around us. Because Christ has authority, we can carry his name with confidence because he is the Christ. He is the only one of God. Having authority with Jesus, and we'll talk about this more next week, begins with submitting to his authority in our own life. His authority operates fully when you place your life under his authority. You know, my friend, it's possible to be a Christian and not be living under God's authority. Think about that for just a minute. It's possible to have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and accepted the sacrifice that he's made and had him wash your sin away, but yet disregard the authoritative things that he tells you in his word and just set that aside. I'll take it from here, Lord. I'm saved. I have insurance for my future. I know where my eternity rests. I have comfort in knowing that. Thank you for my salvation, Lord. The rest of what you have to tell me, I'll just kind of leave it right there. And I'll take it from here, Lord. And I'll just kind of lead my life by my own terms and in my own ways. The things that I think are best, the things that I think might be good. I'm certainly not interested in hurting anyone, but I'm just going to kind of run my life. Kind of just the way that I would like to do that. We can disregard the authority of Jesus. He wants us to submit to his authority. Authority is protective. Just like on a rainy day, an an umbrella is protective. That's a wonderful umbrella. It's a golf umbrella. It's big. It's curved very nicely so that the rain runs off of it and not onto you. And if you're way underneath it, you'll be protected from the rain from the storm. That's a beautiful umbrella. In fact, it's got nice colors in it, and uh, it's open, actually, and, and it has a job to do, and there's, a, there's something it can accomplish, and it's, it's a wonderful umbrella. 
If rain were to break out today, and we hope it doesn't, we've had, we've had plenty. If rain breaks out today, it'd be wonderful for me to know that I have this umbrella. I, it's mine. Well, it's the church's, but for right now, it's mine. I have this umbrella. I know that I have it. It's there. I, it's open. It's available. Nobody else is using it. it it's there. But if I don't pick that umbrella up and if I don't put myself underneath that umbrella, the protection that this umbrella provides would not be mine. This is the only way that I would be able to benefit from the covering of this umbrella. It's like this with the authority of God. His authority is meant to cover us. His authority is meant to protect us. His authority is meant to give us security and confidence. But we have to be under it. We have to be under his authority. We have to be responding to his commands and the things that he's telling us to do for the protection and the security and the confidence to be there in our life. Submission. The submission that I'm talking about this morning is not a submission of action, but a submission of heart. Have you ever told your six-year-old child to clean their room? How many of you have done that? Maybe you're telling them, they're 15, you're telling them to clean their room. There is quite a difference between, okay, I'll clean my room, In the room, slam the door, gets after it. Maybe well, maybe not so well. Difference between that and, yes, I will. Move into the room, do as you're told with a submissive heart. You know in your children when you give a directive, What's a submissive heart and what's not a submissive heart? Whether the, whether the deed gets done, whether the chore gets accomplished or not, you, you can tell the condition of the heart. Submission to the authority of Jesus in our lives is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. We can do the duty, we can perform the deed, we can follow the command, we can, we can eke it out, we can do the right thing, thing and not have the right heart you know that i know that you've done that and i've done that what the lord is saying to us today is his authority has blessings with a submissive heart come under the blessings come under the blessings in your life you may say well i'm not experiencing a lot of god's blessings right now either financially or relationally or in my family or with my kids or with my future or with my job or with my career. I feel like I'm banging my head against the wall. It's not going anywhere. Well, I've been sent into your life today to say, check out submission. Check out your attitude of submission to authority. Because in checking that out and placing your heart in submission to the authority of Jesus in your life, 
and the authorities that he's placed in your life with a submissive heart opens up blessing, opens up provision, opens up security, opens up confidence. All these blessings can be yours when you come underneath the authority and the blessing of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we know from your word today that you have invested all authority in your son. Today, as we sit here in this congregation, Jesus Christ has, continues to have, and will eternally have all authority. All authority. And in your hand, Lord Jesus, today are all authorities all principalities, all leaders, all people above us, they're in your hands today, every single one. And so not only are they in your hands, but you work through them in our lives. And today, Lord, the question is, are we submitted? Are we submitted in heart? Are we submitted in heart? For when we are, Lord, there are blessings. There are answers. There is freedom. There is confidence. There is security. When we're submitted to you. So in this moment, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, You may say today, yeah, the Lord spoke to me about something that I need to just place my heart in a submissive place. If that's you, would you just lift your hand today? I just want to put my heart in a submissive place. Yes, thank you. I'm going to put my heart in a submissive place again. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, thank you for these honest hearts today, Lord, that have heard your words and have taken them for themselves. Lord, we just ask in Jesus' name that for each one who's lifted their hand today, I just pray that as they place their heart back into that submissive place, submitted to you mostly and first, that Lord, the things that they've been asking you for and the things that you've been, you've been promising to them and, and the things that they need in their lives, Lord, that you would open up your blessings and flood them with those blessings, Lord, because of their submissive heart. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us and reminding us and calling us back to that submissive place. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.